Now, the author of the book, in my opinion, masterfully captured our human psyche in times of trials. One moment, we are a complete wreck. The next moment, we try to console ourselves that everything is going to be okay, right? Sounds familiar? If you are like me, I most definitely can identify with Tobit experiencing the gut-wrenching rollercoaster ride of emotions from two opposite ends of the spectrum. And so today, in times of our trials, are we a nervous wreck inside? Or are we as cool as a cucumber? Or both? What sort of things cause you to worry? And how do you calm yourself down? Hello and welcome. The Setting Apart podcast is a pit stop where you can get nourished, encouraged, and refreshed whenever you need a break. I am your host, IP, and every episode, I get to share my stories, my outlook, my reflections on all things inspired through the lens of faith. So grab yourself a coffee, sit back, relax, and chill. Dear friends, welcome back. I hope you've been giving thanks to God in your morning prayers every single day the moment you wake up. Why do it the first thing we get up? Well, because number one, that would be putting God first in our daily life. And number two, it would also help set the tone for the rest of your day, living out your day with gratitude and thanks. And for those of you who are here for the first time, a big hello and welcome. If you are wondering why we are giving thanks to God the first thing we get up, check out my last episode, episode 11, Money, Money, Money for the Whys. And for the rest of my regular SNP family members, in the spirit of giving thanks, I do wish to say a big thank you to each and every one of you. Thank you for hitting the play button since January the 6th, 2022 for season two. That's more than six months ago when we started season two. Now we are more than about two thirds of the way through reading the book of Tobit. So hang in there so that we together can finish strong for the end of season two is at sight now. The end of season two is at hand, so to speak. Now, paraphrasing from the book of Tobit, I would like to say, take courage, my son and daughter, take courage. And I especially want to take a moment to thank all my Christian brothers and sisters who are not Catholics, but who are still tuning in as I cover the book of Tobit which you do not have in your Protestant Bibles. I know many have dropped off because of it, but some of you are still here. And I really, really appreciate that. And I want to give a special shout out to my mom. She's a Christian, but not a Catholic. She's like, 
who are these people in the story? I do not know their names. And I said, don't worry, mom, me neither. And I have never read the book of Tobit before. So let's just see if the story resonates with you or not. If not, at least you got to listen to a new story every couple of weeks. And she's been tuning in since the beginning of season two. Like you guys, what a gift. Praise God. Okay, before we move on to chapter 10 uh, for this episode, let's have a quick recap. Now, in the last episode in chapter 9, we read the shortest chapter for the book of Tobit, in which Tobiah sends Raphael to redeem a bond on behalf of his father Tobit from Gabael. Now, when viewed from the allegorical lens of St. Bede, The scripture is so rich in symbols and allegories, it comes alive right before our eyes. Now, allegories are not just any symbols. They are signs that point to the mystical relations of Christ and the church. What a gift. Now, equally illuminating from St. Bede is the unpacking of the seal depicted in the books of Tobit. From the story, the redeemed money was marked by Gabael. The item marked was money. It was a valuable or precious item authenticated by Gabael's seal. Now, allegorically speaking, the money initially issued by Tobit to Gabael represents the scripture that was on loan from the Jews to the Gentiles. And the money, in this case, the principal plus interest, now being repaid by Gabriel back to Tobit, represents the spiritual understanding of the scripture made possible by Christ. Further, the fact that Gabriel was invited to Tobias' wedding signifies that the wedding banquet in heaven is also open to all the Gentile nations. How beautiful is that. Now, let us take stock of what we have uncovered so far and connect the dots. In our broken state, we as in mankind are separated from communion with our most holy Trinitarian God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But God is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows what we need. He knows what we feel and how we feel. And so he sends us all the help we can get. He sends us angels and prophets, but our hearts were hardened and God is omnipotent. He then sends his son to defeat the devil and conquer death. God is also omnipresent. When God the Son is resurrected, Both the Father and the Son bestowed on us the outpouring of God, the Holy Spirit, to dwell in our hearts wherever we are. Through God, the Holy Spirit, we received the graces of the three theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity or love. And by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, we are incorporated into Christ in our baptism, where we die with Christ to our sin and we rise with Christ in His resurrection into a new creation. 
as it is written in Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, our identity is sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, which is the first installment of our inheritance toward redemption as God's possession to the praise of his glory. According to Paul, the Holy Spirit is sealed by God in our baptism as the installment or down payment by God on our full salvation. We can see that in Ephesians 4 verse 30 and also in the second letter to the Corinthians chapter 1 verse 22. And here's the thing. Who are we? Why is God going the whole nine yards, the full work, so to speak, just to mark us with his seal so that we belong to him? Going back to the seal, kings mark valuables belonging to him. I would submit to you in that context, we are God's valuables. We are his treasures. Let us take a moment to digest all that and let it sink in. And so today, what is our greatest treasure? Where is our greatest treasure? In this episode, we continue to chapter 10 of the book of Tobit. There are two main parts to the story. The first depicts the anxiety of the parents day by day when Tobiah doesn't show up after the estimated time of his return, the parents become increasingly worried. And in the second, Tobiah finally makes his way home with the money he collected from Gabriel and half the inheritance bestowed by his in-laws and of course with his new and beautiful bride. Now, the Bible I'm reading from is the New American Bible or the NAB online version taken from the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops or the USCCB website. For the book of Tobit, I also refer to the online version of the Dewey Reims Bible, which is a translation from the Latin Vulgate, whereas the NAB is translated from the Septuagint or the Greek version. As always, the show note can be found on the website. The URL is www.settingapart.com and setting apart is one word. All resources used, for example, the scripture verses, reflection questions, YouTube links where the subtitles and transcript of every episode of this season is uploaded. All these for the podcast and more can be found in the show notes. I invite you to read along Tobit chapter 10 with me. If you do not have a Bible handy, fret not. Feel free to check out the Setting Apart channel on YouTube where you can find the subtitles or transcripts for all the episodes in this season there. Again, your YouTube links can be found in the show notes on the Setting Apart website. Now, let us quiet down our heart for the opening prayer as we prepare to read and listen to the word of God. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, all thanks and glory belong to you. We thank you for gathering us in your name to listen attentively to you with our hearts. As it is written, 
as your word unfolds, it gives light. Even the simple understand. We pray that the Holy Spirit in our midst could guide us in opening our ears and our heart to be enlightened by your word. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Tobit chapter 10 Meanwhile, day by day, Tobit was keeping track of the time Tobiah would need to go and to return. When the number of days was reached and his son did not appear, he said, Could it be that he has been detained there? Or perhaps Gabriel has died and there is no one to give him the money. And he began to grieve. His wife Anna said, My son has perished and is no longer among the living. And she began to weep aloud and to wail over her son. Alas, child, light of my eyes, that I've let you make this journey. But Tobit kept telling her, Be still, do not worry, my sister. He is safe. Probably they have to take care of some unexpected business there. The man who is traveling with him is trustworthy and one of our kindred. So do not grieve over him, my sister. He will be here soon. But she retorted, You be still and do not try to deceive me. My son has perished. She would rush out and keep watch every day at the road her son had taken. She ate nothing. After the sun had set, she would go back home to wail and cry the whole night through, getting no sleep at all. Now, when the fourteen days of the wedding celebration, which Raguel had sworn to hold for his daughter, had come to an end, Tobiah went to him and said, Send me off now, since I know that my father and mother do not believe they will ever see me again. So I beg you, Father, let me depart and go back to my own father. I have already told you how I left him. Raguel said to Tobiah, Stay, son, stay with me. I am sending messengers to your father, Tobit, and they will give him news of you. But Tobiah insisted, No, I beg you to send me back to my father. Raguel then promptly handed over to Tobiah his wife, Sarah, together with half of all his property, male and female slaves, oxen and sheep, donkeys and camels, clothing, money, and household goods. He saw them safely off. Embracing Tobiah, he said to him, Farewell, son. Have a safe journey. May the Lord of heaven grant prosperity to you and to your wife, Sarah. And may I see children of yours before I die. Then he said to his daughter, Sarah, My daughter, honor your father-in-law and your mother-in-law, because from now on they are as much your parents as the ones who brought you into the world. Go in peace. Daughter, let me hear a good report about you as long as I live. Finally, he said goodbye to them 
and let them go. Edna also said to Tobiah, My child and beloved kinsman, may the Lord bring you back safely, and may I live long enough to see children of you and of my daughter Sarah before I die. Before the Lord, I entrust my daughter to your care. Never cause her grief all the days of your life. Go in peace, son. From now on, I am your mother and Sarah is your sister. Together, may we all prosper throughout the days of our lives. She kissed them both and saw them safely off. Tobiah left Raguel, full of happiness and joy. And he blessed the Lord of heaven and earth, the king of all, for making his journey so successful. Finally, he blessed Raguel and his wife, Etna, and added, I have been commanded by the Lord to honor you all the days of your life. As readers, we know very well that Tobiah was held up for 14 days due to his wedding celebration, but his parents did not. Now, as a side note, I want to talk a little bit about the ancient Jewish marriage custom that I've read. And from what I read, until late in the Middle Ages, um, the ancient Jewish marriage consisted of two ceremonies marked by celebrations at two separate times. First came the betrothal and later the wedding. And the betrothal, the woman was legally married, although she still remained in her father's house. At the wedding, the husband brings the wife into his home where they begin their married life together with their legal tie consummated. The celebrations typically last for seven days. In the case of Raguel, he was so delighted that Sarah was at least healed from the demon, he insisted on doubling the celebration to 14 days. Now, the reference material for this is listed in the show note. Every day, Tobiah has not returned home. His parents went through an emotional roller coaster ride. For example, we can see that from the very first verse in chapter 10, Tobit was keeping track of time day after day or day by day. I think most, if not all of us, know exactly how that feels. First, the more eager and anxious we are, the slower the time seems to pass. When we are worried, one minute on the clock may seem like an hour. But when we are anxious, I mean really, really anxious, one minute may feel like a lifetime, right? Remember how that feels? And when doubts start to seep in, different scenarios get played out in our minds. You know, the different what-if scenarios. What if this or what if that happens or both? Then what? We create this frenzy of what ifs in our head. Before we know it, it may be consuming us entirely. If the scenarios were positive, we may experience a forced sense of calm. But the reverse is also true. If the playbacks were negative, panic sets in. Truly a roller coaster ride. That's exactly what I see in 
the second and third verses in chapter 10. Anxiety starts to build up day by day in Tobiah's absence, and Tobit began to grieve, fearing the worst. And Anna too, fearing that their son is dead, she began to weep and mourn for Tobiah. She couldn't eat, couldn't sleep, and cried the whole night through in verse 7. Interestingly, knowing that Anna was suffering, Tobit consoled her despite of his own grief. We see that in verse 6 of chapter 10, and I quote, Be still, do not worry, my sister. He is safe. Probably they have to take care of some unexpected business there. The man who is traveling with him is trustworthy and one of our kindred. So do not grieve over him, my sister. He will be here soon. Unquote. Now, the author of the book, in my opinion, masterfully captured our human psyche in times of trials. One moment we are a complete wreck. The next moment we try to console ourselves that everything is going to be okay, right? Sounds familiar? Don't take my word for it. This is what St. Bede has to say, and I quote, The elder Tobit signifies in Scripture's customary manner both unbelievers because of his blindness and believers because of his faith, unquote. If you are like me, I most definitely can identify with Tobit experiencing the gut-wrenching rollercoaster ride of emotions from two opposite ends of the spectrum. And so today, in times of our trials, are we a nervous wreck inside? Or are we as cool as a cucumber? Or both? What sort of things cause you to worry? And how do you calm yourself down? As to how we could remain calm, it reminds me of Matthew chapter 6, verses 26 to 27, when Jesus teaches his disciples, and I quote, Look at the birds in the sky. They do not sow or reap. They gather nothing into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more important than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single moment to your lifespan? Unquote. Let me share an uncanny but timely story with you. Recently, a couple of lovebirds made a nest at the ledge where our air conditioning or AC compressors are installed at home. But we didn't know what was going on until we heard two little birdies chirping away in the morning like clockwork, making so much noise. That's when we realized we had visitors. I mean, the birdies were chirping away so loudly as if to tell the parents how hungry they were. Now, at this stage, we couldn't do anything to the nest. We couldn't get rid of it right away because the birdies were so small and vulnerable. We just had to wait till they are grown up enough to eventually fly away. My wife googled the net and found that it might take up to a couple of weeks before the baby birds are fully grown. Great, 
That means we had to endure the stench from the bird's excretion. And of course, the flies they attract for at least a couple of weeks. We couldn't do any cleaning. We just had to close the window so the flies at least won't get in. And here's the thing. The birds are exactly what Matthew 6 was telling us. The birds do not sow or reap. Yet every morning, the parents would come and feed the little ones until they are grown. Now, for us city folks living at the concrete jungle, we don't usually get to witness nature in action very often. I must say I am impressed how the birds picked a strategic spot to build a nest. I mean, it nestled in the space between the building wall and the AC compressor unit. So while the eggs were insulated from the elements like the sun, the rain, and the wind, you know, our AC compressor unit kind of blocked them out. At the same time, they were also protected against potential predators devouring the eggs. I mean, if you had to lay eggs, it was quite the ideal spot for that. Pretty ingenious, I must say. And it is so true. The birds neither reaps nor sow. Yet, the creator of heaven and earth provides for all that they need to give birth and bring up two new birdies, right? The last I checked, the birds were not created in the image of our creator. We are. And we were given dominion over all living creatures and vegetation. So if God were to provide for the birds, which fall under our dominion, would he not provide for us his adopted children created in the image and likeness of God? That was the question I believe Jesus was asking his disciples. Likewise, we could not worry about the birdies dirtying our AC ledge with the stench and the flies, the whole works, you know? <laughs> Let me tell you, it was not a pretty sight. But we just had to let it play out. And it did, eventually. One after another, the birdies flew off. I got rid of the nest, cleaned up the ledge, and now we can open the window again. <laughs> so the important takeaway and reminder is, do not worry our Heavenly Father knows exactly what we need. And that's my takeaway from Matthew 6, verse 32. One of the birdies grew a lot faster than its sibling. The smaller one took more than two weeks to finally muster up enough guts to fly off. Mind you, the longer the birdie remains at the ledge, the more pee and poo it will deposit behind, right? But that's a different story for another time. At the end of the day, we have a happy ending. The birdie was strong enough to fly off, and no birdie was sacrificed or died in this escapade. Praise God. And so today, when we find ourselves in times of trouble, what do we do? Do we abandon God and ask, where is God? 
or do we cling on to Christ like our lives depend on it? The book of Tobit reminds us that we can and indeed should depend on Christ and with our dear life cling on to Him. That's what we should do. Lord, we pray for your grace to increase our faith. On Tobias' departure from Abertana in the second part, paraphrasing St. Bede, this is what he has to say. Tobias' return to Nineveh signifies the return of Christ and the church to the Jews. The church has been filled with virtuous riches so that faith might enlighten them and the wealth of good works enrich them. I reckon the riches of virtues are represented by half of Raguel's possession bestowed to the newly wedded couple, and the wealth of faith and good works are represented by the couple's faith and good works collectively. Now, in verse 12, before setting off back to Nineveh, Raguel reminded Sarah to honor her in-laws, while Etna told Tobiah to never cause Sarah grief. Now, these are good reminders for married couples. I mean, how do we honor our in-laws and each other? By our fidelity and charity, just as Christ is the bridegroom and the church is the bride, so shall we honor each other by virtue of our fidelity and charity. As it is written in Ephesians 5, and I quote, Husbands should love their wives just as Christ loved the church and sacrificed himself for her. Unquote. Marriage also provides us with an image of God. According to Pope Francis, and I quote, The image of God is the married couple, the man and woman, not only the man, not only the woman, but both together. Together, husband and wife mirror the communion of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who live eternally in perfect unity. Spouses, too, reflect unity. God makes of the two spouses one single life. The Bible uses a powerful expression and says, one flesh. So intimate is the union between man and woman in marriage. Unquote. And we see that in Genesis 2, verse 24. And I quote, Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. Unquote. And in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus himself shows the Pharisees who tried to trick him that this signifies an unbreakable union of their two lives by recalling what the plan of the Creator had been in the beginning, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. We see that in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, and also from paragraph 1605 of the CCC. The Holy Father 
acknowledge that every couple faces difficulties and argues. And I quote, sometimes the plates even fly, unquote. But a marriage which has a foundation in God, it is always possible to keep alive the bond of marriage. The Pope encouraged couples to pray for each other. And I quote, when the family prays, the bond is preserved, unquote. In season two, episode number seven, Soulmate, Marriage and Spirituality, we saw that according to 1607 of the CCC, the breakdown of marriage is not a result of anything but from sin. So when the marriage has a strong foundation in God, just like Tobiah and Sarah, they overcame the demon Asmodeus and the bond of marriage is preserved. And we know what God's love is. Agape. Not just the fuzzy feeling we get, which we do, but also sacrificial love. This is a good reminder to all the married couples to be centered on Christ. As it is written in paragraph 1604 of the CCC, and I quote, For man is created in the image and likeness of God, who is himself love. Since God created him man and woman, their mutual love becomes an image of the absolute and unfailing love with which God loves men. Unquote. Wow, that's beautiful. Marriage is an image of God's love. And so today, Reflect on what it feels like to be treated as a treasure of God. How in our fallen state, despite our unworthiness, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have faithfully, faithfully throughout the entire salvation history, reach out to us and protect us in unison with the Holy Trinity. The Trinitarian love as we know it is the perfect love. Such is the love of our God for us. We have much to be thankful for. Like Tobiah in verse 13, hopefully you have been praising God with your thanksgiving prayer for the last two weeks. We are halfway there, so please keep it up. For those of you who are here for the first time, you can start from today. It's never too late to start. In closing, let us pray. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, all glory and praise belong to you. Thank you for the reminder to surrender ourselves. And trust that no matter what, we can depend on you completely. Just as Tobiah listens and trusts in Raphael, the archangel, wholeheartedly. We ask humbly for the grace to help us increase our faith. And pray that your grace is sufficient for us in our weakness. Humbly we pray, in the name of the Father, 
Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Setting Apart podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and get notified so you won't miss any episode. And please feel free to give me your ratings and reviews so that others may get to listen as well. Thank you and God bless.